welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. I'm also editor of The Fanatic, PW's new uh, twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. So check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics all right well this week on more to come this is a great pleasure uh uh it's a, a a thrill to get a chance to interview i've actually known Raina for quite a few years but it's good that we finally get a chance to talk about uh her books and her career uh Raina telgemeier um uh eisner award-winning graphic novel author best-selling author Raina, uh welcome uh to more to come thank you calvin so nice to be here it's great to get a chance to talk with you. Um, so I'm, I'm going to show off a little bit for our listeners here. I think I, I first read your comics. It might have been even as many comics. Um, uh, and this is Smile. I knew it was online. But I think you, uh, if I'm, am I wrong, didn't you sell some little printed mini comics of Smile back in the day? I did. And I had a, a series of mini comics called Takeout that I used to do yes. also. Yes. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, Heidi McDonald wrote about, she used to do a feature for us every year about, you know, uh, emerging artists. And if I'm not mistaken, we did something on you on 2004 or 2005. Yeah. You were among a bunch of cartoons. I think it was you, Lauren Weinstein, Jeffrey Brown, and Brian Lee O'Malley. Not a bad lineup there. No, not at all. Uh, in our, like, young cartoonists look to the mm -hmm. book market or something like that. So, yeah, so you've been on, the radar, on our radar for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's code for we're old. Well, but... <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it's a good kind of old because in is. the meantime, you got something done. Uh, you got quite a few things done. Uh, I mean, your, your books, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, share with you with a little praise here. Um, uh, n not only has it been really delight to watch you develop really as, uh, as a tremendous, a delightful artist, uh, but really, you know, your books, you know, along with some others, your books have really kind of transformed the book market for kids comics, um, and really opened up the field, I think, to other cartoonists. You know, I'm I'm older, and I come from a time when really either you wanted to be a superhero artist, or maybe you you know you could do magazine gag panels. Yeah. Uh, but it's a different world now. It is. You know, and and your books uh, have a lot to do with that. All right. So, um, on top of all of this praise, I want to I really want to talk to you a little bit because you've got a new book coming out. Uh, you've actually had two books coming this year. Maybe we'll, we can talk about both of them. Uh, but first, let's talk about Guts. This is continues your autobiographical uh, look at at your own life in the context of your family and your community. Um, and it looks like classic Arena Telgemeier. So uh, <laughs> you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Guts? I would love to. So Guts is part of this, I guess now we're kind of calling it the Smile series mm -hmm. because it's a companion to Smile and Sisters. It's not a sequel. It's not really a prequel. It's just you can read these books in any order. Mm -hmm. um, people always want to know where to begin. And I say, pick, you know, begin with the one that you're holding in your hand sure. and then mm -hmm. <laughs> go from there. But this one um, takes place earlier than those two books. It takes place in my fourth and fifth grade years, which is when I sort of developed anxiety uh -huh. and started having panic attacks and started experiencing pretty severe phobias. And my parents took me to a therapist to try and get all of our heads around it. And after a couple of years, 
doing therapy, I was in a better place. It wasn't like the forefront of my, my life anymore. And I think therefore it's, it's in the background in Smile and Sisters. It's, uh-huh. it's a component of who I am and, and who I was as a child. But those books are not about anxiety. They're about other things that have happened to me and my family. But I decided to kind of go back further in time and just examine where some of my traits come from and, mm-hmm. and some of my really personal things that I've never really talked about publicly. And this is it. This is <laughs> this is me at my yeah. core, really. So, um, you know, I know that anxiety is something that a lot of kids face and are dealing with and don't always have the words to describe or um, the names to to talk about with their own communities. And so I thought, well, if I can talk about it, maybe it will help other people talk about it. If I was a kid and I was feeling this way and I had had a book that described it from somebody else's point of view, it might have been really wonderful for me just to see that. So I I took a leap. I decided to just go for it, and here we are. Yeah. Uh, well, this book, like your other books, um, you you use your 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 life and these experiences of you as a kid. Um, but the way you use them is just really sort of distinctive. I mean, that you 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 it's a it's a combination of both looking at. Uh, your, I mean, your own personal predicament, whatever it may be. But then you also, um, the, the way you intertwine it with your family's dynamics, with your kind of school and community dynamics. I mean, these seem to be the kinds of uh, um, your approach to your uh, retelling your own life. This seems to be, I, I guess what I'm looking for is this connection you have to your audience because you really have, created a, a, a an incredible um, and uh, connected audience uh, to your books. So, I mean, does that make sense to you? Uh, the way you explore these different areas of your life uh, are so particular to you and seem to be really what makes your audience come back over and over again. Yeah. I, I It's always hard for me to, to try and quantify it or explain it, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm, I'm drawing inspiration from specific artists who came before me, specific authors. I'm drawing from Beverly Clary's Ramona series mm-hmm. and from Judy Bloom's writing yeah. and from Anna Martin, who sure. wrote the Babysitter's Club books and she wrote a bunch of other books too. And then from Lynn Johnston, who created For Better or For Worse, uh-huh. the comic strip. I think those are probably my top four influences from my childhood and they all are coming from women who have a pretty good handle on their own memories of their or of their youths and have really tapped into different eras of girlhood uh-huh. and realistic fiction and it's always been my favorite genre. I've always liked reading memoirs and autobiography and you know, watching things like Behind the Music on VH1 and yeah, sure. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love documentaries. Sure. So I mean, I think it's it just comes from a fascination with other people and in hearing other people's stories and then thinking about my own life as a young writer. And I thought, well, nobody would ever want to read my stories. Nothing interesting has ever happened to me. But I think the universal is fascinating and the the individual is also quite universal. We all have mm-hmm. so much in common if we're willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just didn't see that existing in the comics space for children sure. when I was coming up. I saw a lot of autobio and slice of life comics coming out 
from kind of the alternative and indie scene, but sure, it wasn't sure. being done for kids at the time that I was coming up in the industry. So I started making mini comics. I started writing short stories about my childhood and about my teenage years and my life and uh, was really surprised when it found an audience, but it was very encouraging to kind of begin with a groundswell that maybe there are kids who would like to read comics. Maybe there are adults who would be yes. interested in reading childhood stories. I don't know. I, I mean, it was... <laughs> well, you hit the mother just... low for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't... It wasn't intentional. And I mean, at first I was, mm-hmm. I was making these, these stories during my college years and I probably met you at one of the first mochas in New York. I, I think that probably was the case at the puck building, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was exhibiting at MOCA. I was exhibiting at SPX and APE in San Francisco and, um, Comic Con in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And people really liked what I did, but there was no perfect market for it. Right. And I got a lot of sort of good-natured, well, good luck with that, <laughs> from, you know, keep the, doing what you're doing, kid. We really like it, but we don't know how you're ever going to monetize this. This and, is a, She's describing the, a comics world from another time, uh, people. But go on, yes. Early aughts, man, yeah. they, were, they were something else. But I, I just was doing what I was doing because I enjoyed it so much. And I, I could tell that people were interested in the stories. Mm-hmm. And so... It was just so fortuitous that around that time, Graphics was looking to launch right. projects and they were looking to work with new creators. And mm-hmm. I met Jana Morishima at a party in New York City that was put on by Friends of Lulu, just to, just ah. to throw a bunch of like old threads. Yes, yeah, well, you know, I just wrote a story about Friends of Lulu because this is our oh, 25th awesome. anniversary this that's year right. at Comic Con. Yeah, so uh, we <laughs> we we did. I actually did a little piece about them because. Uh, those women were really pioneers. So, but, they but were. go on. No, just it was it was wonderful to have that community, and then like the school of visual arts community, and where you went you know, to I, school. Mm-hmm. I did, and I, I had just graduated from college, and was was not sure what was going to happen next, but I was very excited about all of it. And Jenna, who was David Saylor's old assistant, was just out and about, and I met her, and she was like, "Oh, I, I really like your work, and we're starting up a comics imprint. You should come in and pitch." and you know, I didn't, I didn't have anything at the time that was ready for the big mm-hmm. time. I had short stories. I had a passion and a style that was mine and a voice, I think, you but did. Mm-hmm. it wasn't clear what shape it was all going to take. And so the Babysitter's Club adaptations ended up being my first professional project. And I feel like it was just such a great fit because it let me test out the waters in a mm-hmm. safe Way that I was working with somebody else's stories. I didn't have to worry about whether I was great at writing, you know, long form yeah, sure. narrative arc <laughs> sure. graphic novels. And just so our <laughs> listeners know, I mean, the, the Babysitters Club was a really a phenomenal bestseller back in the day. I mean, I guess it still is, really. I mean, these are it's a these prose works. And it's a series of prose works, and um, and this was your first, I guess, major like really big time gig. Yep. Hmm. And what a what an introduction! Because um, uh, I went back to reread Volume One of the Babysitters Club because I hadn't seen it in years, uh, and you know, really, the elements of your style seem all all there. <laughs> Thanks. Well, that's a that's a compliment to think that a dozen years ago I was already doing something that that people could recognize. And I think at the time, you know, the manga boom was in full swing. This was the the heyday of borders. This was the era of the 
the anime convention yes. and mm-hmm. it, it was so popular. And so again, like I was doing something that didn't quite fit that mold. And so I would actually, I used to go to anime conventions <laughs> and table in the small press and artist alley sections and, and folks would pick up my minis or they would see the mm-hmm. first pop, volume of the babysitters club. And they were just like, what is this? This is so different from anything we've ever seen before. Well, and, that was um, a really different time. I mean, you're, you're bringing up a really key time, I think, in American comics when manga invaded the U.S. market, so, so to speak. Maybe that's not the best word, invaded. But the, the manga came up at the, at a time when really, I think, girls and young women looking for comics, uh, manga and shoujo comics and, and the like in the book trade really seemed to uh, energize the marketplace. Yeah. It was exciting. And I was a casual fan of Mm -hmm. manga. So I was, there were series that I enjoyed reading and I watched certain series on television and, but I, I I was a little bit too old to be completely absorbed by it the way that some of my current peers were. Um, I already, I already had my influences pretty solidly under my belt. So I think, um, you know, this was also around the time that Scott Pilgrim really took off. And so it was fun to see something that was so inspired by and influenced by manga and anime that that hit the North American market in a mainstream way. And it was like, wow, where did this come from? And it's if you if you trace Brian's influences back, it's pretty clear to see. But, you know, it took it took oh, a public by storm. And it was so exciting. It was an exciting time. And there were a lot of other creators that were working at the time who none of us quite knew where we were going with it, but we all, we were just having a good time. (laughs) Well, you know, and the fans were too, because really you guys were, uh, uh, you created, you're the beginnings of a marketplace that appealed to uh, more than one genre. Uh, this is not to knock superhero comics. That these are the comics that turned me into the comics fan I am today. But really, uh, uh, thanks to manga, uh, what you're doing, I think now you see uh, European comics coming into the American market mm-hmm. in a big way. Uh, we're seeing a marketplace where everyone is welcoming uh, LGBTQ uh, 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 content and storytelling. Uh, and you, and, and you even actually have a role in that. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> it's a marketplace, a multi-genre marketplace, uh, like the rest of the book market. Uh, yeah. and, and comics will never be the same again. And, um, and that's a good thing. <laughs> it is. And I, I'm grateful that Scholastic started publishing graphic novels when they did. It was, it was the right yeah. time. It was the right place. I mean, first, second, also got into the business at around the same time. And mm-hmm. so we've, we've just, we've all sort of been here together working really, really hard. And I feel like now we're, we're enjoying the fruits of all of that labor. Well, that's for sure, because you really, I mean, um, uh, who was on that first list with you? Wasn't, um, um, <laughs> uh, uh, um, God, my, I'm, I'm having a senior moment here. It was uh, Bone by Jeff Smith. But Jeff Smith, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm not embarrassed myself. But yes. Um, but, <laughs> and uh, Queen Bee by China Clubston. Mm-hmm. And the Babysitter's Club. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, and then shortly thereafter, Amulet was oh, published. Right. The Kazoo series, sure. Yep. And then we've, we've just kind of grown from there. It's just gone nuts since there. I mean, a, a couple, yeah. what's a 15 year anniversary was a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It was a nice party at, uh, as, as Scholastic <laughs> and Graphics always has every year at San Diego. 
Um, but you know, I want to jump back to guts for just a second, only as sure. an illustration of of of, uh, of how uh, some of your books work, and uh, because. These are you know, obviously they're nonfiction books, uh, but one of the things I've always admired about them all too is that you give a lot of detailed information about your experiences. I mean, um, yeah, all, you know, obviously about your emotional state and your relations, but just like you know, information. I mean, about you know, well, say uh, stomach issues or uh, anxiety issues, or obviously in smile, a really um, detailed breakdown of the dental procedures that you had to go through. <laughs> I mean, it's like real information here. I mean, you're, you, yes, you, you're connecting with your readers on an emotional level, but you're giving them some real stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a pretty good memory. That's the first component of that. I, I kept very detailed journals when I was a kid. Oh, okay. And I, I was an illustrator from day one, so I was keeping illustrated journals and drawings of everything that happened to me during my childhood. And so I still, I don't know if it was the process of writing it all down and, and mm -hmm. drawing it and then, you know, finding the drawings later in a box and going, Oh yeah, that thing that helped to kind of solidify a lot of these memories. Or if, if I just have that storyteller's mind where you, an experience in your childhood is something you, you tell people about later Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, this is how the story starts. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's this other thing that happened. Oh, you're not going to believe this part. And, uh, you know, over the years, I think I just honed that craft by way of telling people my own stories out loud. And then in the back of my mind, I always knew I would love to write this down. I would love to commit this to paper for people to be able to read. And because I'm a, a cartoonist, I'll probably draw a comic about this at some point. So I think all of the years that I was working on short stories and small memory comics, I was I was preparing myself to tell a bigger story. And I didn't know what format Smile was going to take. It was kind of a surprise to me. I thought, I'm just going to outline my dental procedure. Mm -hmm. That's okay. it. I just, I just want to explain it to people in a visual way so I don't have to keep telling them <laughs> what happened to me. Now, you but, know, I want to just make sure you, you kept journals when you were a kid as well. I did. So, y'all, so you really did. You were, you were prepared in, you know, maybe you didn't know what you were prepared for, but you were prepared. Yeah. Really I interesting. I my whole life preparing for this job. Ah. But so, yeah, so, so when I started that story, I was publishing it online and I was just mm -hmm. publishing one page per week. So I, I had the benefit of readers who would respond to every installment and go, well, what is this person going to do? And I, I don't like her. What is, she, what is her problem? And like some of my snotty friends. And, you know, I, I started to realize people were interested in all of the surrounding details mm -hmm. of this dental story. And so I started to kind of play that part up and really investigate those relationships and how they had an impact on the dental drama and the self-esteem issues that popped up in the mm -hmm. way that I was treated and the names that I was called and how I felt about it. And so I think I, it took five years for smile to exist. Mm -hmm. Started at the same time I started the babysitter's club graphic novels. And that was in 2004. I finished smile in 2009 and it was published in 2010. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty big journey, but I learned a lot along the way about what people are interested in, what they care about as far as stories, mm -hmm. what they contain. And then I think ever since then, I've, I've not written my stories over such a long period of time. I now sit down and write a full script. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm, yeah. 
thumbnailing my scripts, but I'm still sitting down and, and putting the whole thing down in one go. And, uh, that's, that's easier and harder in a lot of ways, but I also have an editor now. And as far as the technicality of some of what goes into my books, part of that is my memories. Part of that is fact checking. Part of that is working with an editor. Part of that is working with beta readers. You know, I had, I had my childhood dentist consult <laughs> the manuscript of Smile. Just oh, to did you really? <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And, so, she and, and your like, editor is, uh, is Cassandra Pelham? Correct, Cassandra Pelham Fulton. Yes, Fulton. Excuse me, Cassandra. That's right. She's, yes, I forget. She's, her, she's, she's married now. Um, yeah, so how is it? I mean, I, you know, I, I saw you at, I think it was doing Book Expo, and I think I, I was in the audience and I asked a question about editing. How do you work with an editor? I mean, comics is such a labor-intensive uh, business here. Um, do you just really work closely uh, through every step of the way? How, how do you two work together to, make, to, to reach the final product? It, it varies depending on the book, but in the case of most of my graphic novels, I sort of go off into my corner for a while, mm-hmm. two months six months, a year, whatever it takes, and just create a script. And uh-huh. that's that's the, the most intimate, you know, soul-searchy, sure, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> staring at the wall, tearing your hair out part. But then once there's a script, we can we can turn it into something that's ready for readers to enjoy. And so Cassandra is there to read over my drafts, and she's, she's great. She can read a thumbnail draft. She doesn't need, like, an explanation of this circle with dots in it represents a right. figure and you know I, <laughs> she's known me long enough to know there what she's go. looking yes. at when she sees my thumbs but i also try to make my thumbs pretty legible mm. All right. so that any, anybody on the street could read them um but she you know she she reads it like she reads a story she reads it for mm-hmm. all of the elements that an editor thinks about the plot the characters the relationships the clarity the you know, the satisfaction of it. And, and then she sends me back a bunch of questions. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. And no, I... so it's, it's just like any other type of editing where I then have to sit and think about it and go, well, she's right here, but I'm going to push back a little bit on this request because sure. I think it was important to show, you know, this thing and not this other thing. And I, I think we trust each other a lot. I, I really trust her narrative. Mm and her editorial instincts, but she also trusts me as a creator to know when something's important. And so, you know, when I revise, I am revising my thumbnails, which means I'm redrawing them, but is this all? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, I think I used to have, (laughs) I hope I still have on my website, some, some examples of this. I have a couple of essays that I've written where I've, where I've like showed the process. Oh, and in the, in the back of um, some of my books, I show, some examples of the process and share your smile as a matter of fact, which is, <laughs> we're going to segue to that, but you've done it. Yeah, go right I ahead. I, that's a, that's a book that came out earlier this year. It's an interactive journal and it is kind of for budding cartoonists who want to practice writing their own stories. And so there's jumping off points, there's tips, there's tricks, there's prompts, there's a lot of space for free writing and free drawing but I also show my own process. And so this is, this is where I show readers like, this is what thumbnails look like. And this is how the editorial process works. And this is what happens next. I pencil and then I ink and then I work with a colorist to bring the final product to life. And that whole process takes, it's roughly a two year process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one of the things that kids always think and expect is that it's fast. And I think it's because you <laughs> read comics so quickly. Yeah. You can read a graphic novel in less than an hour and 
you know, when you sit down to make a comic, it takes a lot longer than that. Cause there's so people sometimes have no idea. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no button on the keyboard that says make comic. Yeah. So no. we, we, we have to draw every picture. We have to write every word. We have to think about each panel and the relationship with the panel before and after it. And you know, it's, it's an invisible art. It's a magical process, but there's a lot of, uh, work <laughs> yeah. goes into No, without it. a doubt. Uh, when I say labor intensive, that's what I mean, <laughs> folks. Uh, one of the great things about, uh, share your smile. In fact, what, one of the things it does as I was leafing through it, I mean, the, 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 the items that I mentioned, you know, personal detail, fan relations, uh, all of this stuff is kind of, these are almost kind of bullet points in share your smile. And, uh, and, and the reader should know that, you know, you, you talk about the things that a, a, you know, a young cartoonist might want to think about, you know, telling your own family story, uh, uh, telling your own school story, um, you know, creating atmosphere, drawing faces and expressions. So it really is, uh, is a useful guide to, um, to the young cartoonist. Yeah. And I hope that those young cartoonists then go out and get their own paper and their own sketchbooks and keep working and keep writing and keep drawing and just, you know, I know a lot of kids, start out thinking that they like to draw and that it's something really fun. And then somehow they, they step away from it or they get, they get pulled away by other interests or, and I, I just hear from a lot of kids. I don't know how to draw. I've never tried. I, I'm not a good artist. How do I become a good artist? And the answer is one thing. It's just practice. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't start yeah. out being a master. You start out as a student and you, you learn your craft over time. Well, over well, since we're talking about drawing, one of the things I, 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 I did wanted to, to bring up is just your own drawing style and how you use the drawing in your book. I mean, you have this wonderful, clear style and also your, your colors. And I guess you use different colorists, um, but you, you seem to have a, 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 a range of values and hues that just really identify the work uh, as your own. But I, I but there's different in, in different uh, uh, in, in different ones of your books. Um, you seem to me to, you use sort of full page illustration as sort of chapter breaks. Is that mm-hmm. fairly accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. And those, and, and those are some of my, I mean, I love the, all of the drawings, but those are some of my favorites because it seems as though that gives you a chance really to, to set, uh, set a mood and really kind of do a drawing. For instance, where was, there's one I wanted to talk about. There's one in Guts that I really, um, uh, that I really liked. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to jump to Smile because I've made some notes here. In Smile, <laughs> on page 207, I don't know, you probably don't have your books in front of you, but there's this great image of uh, uh, the poster about the sophomore hop. And it's you're in the garage and you're looking oh, out yeah. of the garage. And it's just a wonderful drawing that kind of it sets where you are in your life at that moment it's a great drawing it really draws you in and it's you know it's it's different from a comic panel even though it's in a comic but it really it it really shows another kind of drawing that you're trying to do in your in your books yeah it's like illustration versus comics yeah yeah um, but you use them in a really, it seems to me, a really tactical way in that, you know, uh, well, as we said before, they kind of are kind of chapter markings to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. They are. And, and they, they also capture in better detail, like moments and places in my life yeah. mm-hmm. that maybe aren't part of a story, but are just a really clear visual memory that I have. Yeah, I mean, I've got them in every book, and I can, in Sisters, there's like the, uh, there's the, the road trip map with all the stuff. 
You know, it's, it's I think it's a, it's an outline of the car. It's got oh, all yeah. this stuff in it. That's, that's great. Um, and I, there's also a panel sequence in Guts that I'd love you to talk about a little bit. And it's really kind of about you being overcome with nausea. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the, the drawings are a little different because you, in many ways, you tell a story within a single panel. They're not so much chapter headings as they are kind of setting the tone for, you know, your, your physical and emotional state of the time. It's like early on in guts, I think about page 21 and you're kind of on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's, you say, and the word, the only, there's a single panel. I didn't puke. Now, these are, this isn't, this obviously isn't the fun part of the book, but they're <laughs> really effective drawings, I think. Um, and you're sort of Thanks. trying to hang on. Yeah, it's it's basically falling through the tiles on the bathroom yes, floor. Yes. And I, I think visually I, I took inspiration from the scene in Toy Story Two where Woody is afraid that Andy's gonna throw him away. Oh, and he's yeah. he's sitting on like a pile of, of uh playing cards in the bedroom and then he falls through those cards. Oh okay. and I, yeah. It's probably on like the D V D special features where the animators are talking about that scene and how the light changes very subtly from sunshine to cloud mm-hmm. overhead, the way they've lit that scene. And it's, it's such a, like, it starts out as such a, a calm and sort of pastoral image. And then it moves immediately to like a horror uh-huh. uh, <laughs> trope. And I was, I was going for something similar with that, where it's, it's the stability. You're, you're on a stable surface and then suddenly you're not, and you're gripping onto it for dear life. And, I mean, I, I think I had illustrated that scene a little bit more simply, but. How it feels to panic and how to, you know, just yeah. describe it without words if you can. So, I mean, that's what comics are so great at is that you have pictures, you have words, you have space, you have time, you have panels, you have sequences and the readers in control of them. Mm-hmm. but the artist is there to sort of guide you through that experience. But, you know, in a movie, it, it just, it happens in the time it happens in. You can pause the movie, but you're still experiencing it the way that that character does. But when you're the reader of a comic, it's your experience too. So if cool. you, if you feel it, if you need to set it down, if you need to pause and just stare at a drawing for a really long time, you can, you get to have that control. But you know, the sequences of panic are supposed to be about lack of control. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the, the color also changes dramatically yes. in those scenes. And I think it was clear from the start that I was going to need color to tell this story. And my colorist, Braden Lamb, is really, really good when it comes to atmospheric mm-hmm. coloring and, and with the mood and storytelling changes when it comes to color. So, yeah, I, I, I just I told him exactly I described to him what I was looking for, and he just nailed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. And, and you know, and, and later on, and I don't mean to keep, I'm keep picking these these images of you in distress, but they're very, <laughs> but they're very effective. Uh, and uh, you know, if you keep going, and when you hit, I think page seventy four, where there's several pages of like uh, words that kind of circle you, that kind of describe mm-hmm. your mindset, your physical mindset. It's once again, but, and then the next page where you kind of use these little ideograms dancing on, uh, your sweater to also kind mm. of add, uh, once again, using how, using these little ideograms as only a comics artist would use them. 
I, I, comics is such a wonderful language. I feel really lucky to have access to these tools and to these ephemera. What are they called? Emanata, the, the little. Oh. There you go. Things that emanate <laughs> from the characters and just symbols and symbolism. And I mean, we didn't even have emojis when I was a kid and when I was a young cartoonist. Emojis didn't exist. And now I think most folks have access to a keyboard where they can communicate yes. with pictures. Yep. That didn't exist before. We just had That's to true. draw all those things. It's true. <laughs> so I feel like now we're all sort of more equipped to think like cartoonists because of because of technology but yes. yeah okay before it was so like- <laughs> let's jump along here i don't want to keep you all day but let's jump because one of the things I, and i we, we chatted about this before we started I, i'd love to just go back and just looking back on um you know reina uh, from the beginning let's just look at a couple of books and i'd love to hear your thoughts uh what what about smile when you look back now and you uh and you think of this book now what 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 are your thoughts about the the Rainer that created Smile? Um, she was a lot younger. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's, but she, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew yeah. the story mm-hmm. I wanted to tell. I knew the character pretty well and wanted to just fully investigate it. But I, I one of the questions that comes up at pretty much every Q and A I've ever done is, "What's your favorite book that you've made?" Okay. And that's a hard question to answer because they're all my favorite for mm-hmm. various reasons, but. Smile is my most personal book because I was working on it all by myself. Mm-hmm. I was working on it in a vacuum where I didn't have an editor for right. it. I didn't have even a readership that I was really aware of at the time. I just made the book. Yeah. I made the story. I got some feedback from the web pages, but I, you know, I was, I was just telling that story the way I wanted to tell it. And ever since then, like I said, I have worked on a script and I have worked on it with an editor, but mm-hmm. That that book is so, so pure and so close to just, like, what I would make if left to my own devices. <laughs> and um, it's in a slightly different format, too. It's 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 mm-hmm. very subtly in the format of a comic strip because when you're putting something up on the web every week... Oh, interesting, yeah. It sort of has to have a beat for every page. Mm-hmm. So that book does read more like a comic strip, even if they're not like funny, ha-ha punchlines. Every page still sort of lands yeah. on a beat. Yeah. Sure. So so that's, I think that that has changed. That's that's one of the things that's different about it. But I think I think kids like that. I think kids really like humor and they like rhythm oh, yeah. and they like, you know, comics so much for that reason. Well, absolutely, and I and I, I certainly don't mean to d- neglect the humor in your books, which uh, which they're full of. Um, so let's jump to another book, drama, which is fiction. Yeah, it's fiction, but it's it's inspired by uh-huh. a time in my life and people in my life, and wanting to capture those feelings on the page. And I know that now we have like tons of media about kids who are performers mm-hmm. and kids who are in productions, but. I think I think I still come back to the idea that 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 book is really about the people behind the scenes. Yes, mm-hmm. it's it's about working hard for almost no glory. It's about wanting to support your friends. It's about wanting to make something cool together. And I I, I miss those days. I miss high school. I miss being <laughs> you know part of musicals and yeah. making posters for dances and so it was kind of 
it was a way to reach back to that time in my life and, and really honor it. And I, I still miss it. <laughs> I still yeah, well, do and it stuff. also is just wonderfully methodical look at how production is put together. What's the uh-huh. parts? Once again, there's like really, it's, I mean, it's a great story. And I should say also, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, one of the things that I do, I'm on the, uh, the freedom, the freedom to read foundation uh, board. Uh, and we, for the ALA. And, you know, your books are some of the most challenged, which means people try to get them pulled out of libraries. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. Drama is right up there with them, uh, and probably because of the relationship between the two brothers. Uh, Yeah, the the two brothers are gay, and then there are a couple of other queer kids that are part of the story, too. Yep, I know. But they're great. It's a great story, and it's wonderfully uh, inclusive, uh, as well as just being like just a, a, a zany time. In a life. <laughs> so it, it it's it's extraordinary and kind of ordinary at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way to describe so, it. <laughs> there you go. Um, now let me see what. Uh, let's see. Now, look, can I ask you a question about ghosts? I mean, this was also enormously popular. I interviewed you. I think I might have been one of the first to interview you at Book Expo in 2016. Uh, because it looks at the, the uh, Day of the Dead, uh, and it also looks at a topic in a way um, that, you know, you don't expect to see in a kid's book, that really mm-hmm. handling death. Yeah, and that, there's there's a lot of a lot of influences for that book, but it, it solidified when I lost a family member who was 13 mm-hmm. years old to cancer, and, and seeing the way that her family supported one another and rose up to support each other and just just the love that came through this period of grief. Yeah. It was extraordinary. And I mean that the book had been sort of swirling around in my head for a very long time. And then during this experience I I felt like, oh my gosh, I, I know these characters now. I know who they are. I know the kinds of things that they would say and say to one another. And, you know, I didn't want to tell their story. I didn't want to tell that particular story, but I felt like I was ready to tell this other story and to sort of grapple with the idea of loss and grief and death. And, mm-hmm. you know, no, no one can really answer these questions, but I think sometimes writing is my way of answering my own questions sure. and dealing with things. And uh, yeah, that was, it was, it was the book sort of represents like a, a hard time in my life. So in some ways, it's it's real indicative of that, but it also feels like a chapter that was important, and I feel like I don't need to look back on it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Because it's there, it exists, and and when people want to talk to me about it, I'm I'm really grateful for those conversations that that come up. Um, I I've met some kids who have G tubes. And they are seeing a G-tube on a character in a book for the first time. <laughs> They've just never seen it before. And so they, they open the book and they see it and they go, oh, that's me. And then they say to me, how did you know that existed? And I, it's, I it's love it. just, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I, you know, I've met some amazing families and have just, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been overwhelming. The kind of book won an Eisner, didn't it? Didn't that book? It did. Yes. Yeah. And I should mention, you've got a, you got a couple of Eisners on your shelves, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I do. Right? Yeah. I do. I, I make more than a couple. I think uh, that what Smile and Sisters, yes. Yeah, I have three, but yeah. I also 
did not win an Eisner once. I was nominated for a uh, promising new talent and I, I lost to Sean McKeever that year. Because, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, wow. but it was, it was cool because I got to go to the Eisners and I sat at a table with Frank Camuso yeah. and Brian Fees and we were all nominated sure. and we didn't know each other, but we were like, Hey, we're new. This not is great. Bad, yeah. <laughs> so, so Frank and I didn't win, but we're, we'd be, we've been buds ever since. Oh, great. And, Brian Fees won his first Eisner for Mom's Cancer that year. And it was, yeah. it was really cool to like Another great book. be there and see it and, and be able to celebrate with him and like spin his globe on his award. And, yes, you I know, know, it is cool when you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. It's, um, and I was nominated for Takeout. That, that's what. Oh, really? I, oh, wow. Art, see, I've forgotten that. that. Yeah. Yeah, I was nominated just for like the work I was doing in my mini comics, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> so cool just to have been nominated that year. Um, yeah, so so I got I feel like I got a lot out of that experience. I got a lot out of just going and like meeting the people mm-hmm. at my table and becoming friends with them. And yeah, it's, well, this is great. Now, I, I do want to ask you one thing. I mean, your books, one of the things I've always liked about your books also is, I mean, and, and these are, they're about your life, but there, there's, there's, there seems to be a basic level of inclusion and diversity. I mean, it, 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 this is your life. So I told you, you're telling the story of your own, like, social interaction. Is, is that true? It is. A lot of times I'm, I'm trying to, to just include the world I see and, and the people that surround me and the community that I've grown up in and, the kinds of social issues that are near and dear. And um, yeah, it's, I, I can't do everything and I shouldn't no. do everything. And I think there's, there's plenty of space for lots and lots of folks to share their stories. And I hope that what I'm doing is inspiring more kids to do that and to, you know, to want to create and to want to become just voices <laughs> to, well, to share the stage. I, I I think that's the case. I mean, I, I have to I have to tell tell you my own um, Raina Telgemeier fan story. I have a oh. uh, my cousin's uh, daughter, and this was a few years ago. Uh, and you were at SBX. And this is yeah, this was probably about four or five years ago. And I don't know if you remember it, but I was there. Now I have all you know. Everybody sends me books, so I have books. So I get a text message from uh, my cousin's daughter at the time she may have been about 12 maybe 13 and and she never texts me but her mother told her that i know Raina telgemeier <laughs> so let me tell you and i happened to mention to her that i was going to be in town because you were at sbx and um so they came and i had given her i had already given her all the books but so we just came to your table and just tried to buy everything in sight and I was getting buying T-shirts and everything, but uh, she was thrilled. And if I'm not mistaken, because I was running off being a reporter after a while, uh, I think she she told me she went back a couple of times more. So uh, she was thrilled to meet you. Um, uh, I think this is a story of many of your fans out there, and you do seem to uh, make arrangements to be meeting with a lot of your fans in these incredible events. I see photos of you with like it must be like giant auditoriums. <laughs> So you, you, I think you have definitely, you know, made an impact. And books like Share Your Smile and just your books in general, I, we sit around and talk about this, like me and Milton Greep at ICV2 and other – and Heidi McDonald about the generation uh, of fans that have read Raina's books and, and, um, and uh, uh, Jeff Smith's books and the cartoonists that are going to come out of it. So Yeah. Yeah. 
So thanks, Raina. Thanks, Calvin. <laughs> look, it's been a thrill to talk to you. Um, so look, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Oh, you're so welcome. All right. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll meet, we'll talk again the next time you have a book out. Take care. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.